Nehemiah chapter 1 is our text today, and the title of our message is Prepare to Lead. And if you're new to our church, let me uh, welcome you. Um, my name's Danny Forshee, the lead pastor. We just began this uh, study last Sunday, so you are at the very genesis, the inception of this new series that we're entitled, Let's Build Something. And so uh, we welcome you today. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And if you are a guest in your worship guide, you see a registration card. If you'd be so kind to fill that out and bring it to me at the end of the service. My wife and I would love to meet you, greet you. Also give you a copy of a book that I've written. I'll sign it and give it to you as just a token of our appreciation for you being here. And so thank you. God's so good to us. Allows us to meet many new people in the community, in our city every day, and many of them come and visit with us. So we're glad that you're here today. As I said earlier, we are just brand new studying this book of Nehemiah. And I find, I find it really interesting that my friend, uh, Pastor Jeffress at First Baptist Dallas on Friday had, a, had an audience with our soon-to-be elected president. And they asked him, they said, well, what in the world are you going to say uh, to Donald Trump in those minutes that you're going to give a devotional to, to him? And Pastor Jeffress said, well, I'm going to share a message with him from the book of Nehemiah. And I thought that was pretty interesting. That, and, and they asked him, they said, well, why in the world would you, Nehemiah, who? What, what is that? He said, well, it's a book in the Old Testament about a great man, a great leader, and our new president's going to need all the, the wisdom that, um, that he can, that God can give him. And so we're going to share with him a message on Nehemiah and hopefully encourage him as he helps this great nation. So I found that kind of interesting and almost a confirmation as we here in Austin, in this great city, we are studying this book and praying that God would give us men and women and students who will rise up and will lead in the passion and in the portrait that is portrayed before us uh, in this great book. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 1, and in a moment we're going to begin reading in verse, in verse 5. Last week we noticed that Nehemiah already displays incredible leadership qualities. And one of the first things we notice him doing is asking questions. And that is a sign of humility. It's a sign of greatness, really, when a CEO or a president or a pastor or the head coach or whoever in the position of leadership will sit down and actually open up his ears and say, what do you think? What is going on in your life? And, and Nehemiah does that. He asks those who are privy to information that he did not have. And so he asks his brother Hanani and the other men, what is going on in the city of Jerusalem? How does it go with the inhabitants there? And then Nehemiah, we noticed last week, he was a man of great compassion, a man of concern, a man of care, and he was also a man, a very deeply spiritual man. i got to remind you of something. Nehemiah is not a, a pastor. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's not a man of the cloth. He is a, he is a layman. He is a man who is, he is working in his normal day job, and his day job just happened to be a very interesting day job. He was known as a cupbearer. A cupbearer in the ancient world was someone who would taste the wine mostly and also eat some food and before it come to the king, they, he would eat it, he would take it. And if there was any poison, if anybody was trying to assassinate the, the king, well, the cupbearer would die, but long live the king. And Nehemiah was a close friend of King Artaxerxes. Now, that's a mouthful, Artaxerxes. And so, 464 to 444, the king of the Medo-Persian world, he is reigning from his, one of his palaces there, Susa, in his winter fortified palace, and Nehemiah is in close proximity to him, and yet Nehemiah, his heart is really back in Jerusalem. 
Though he has been deported, his family has, in 586, many, many years ago in 444 B.C. Here's Nehemiah in a very prominent position with the king, and yet his heart is very burdened. He wants to, he wants to do something great for God. He wants to lead a, a group of people who will go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the decimated wall. And you see this at the, early on in chapter 1, that he's praying that he's asking God for great courage and wisdom and blessing and favor as he prepares to rally the troops and go and build a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And we noticed last time that walls were very important back then because it protected your border. It protected Jerusalem from those who would try to harm them from without, and it protected the inhabitants who lived uh, therein. Nine times Nehemiah is going to pray. Nine prayers are in this book. And the first one is this one that we're going to read today. In fact, our whole text is a text of prayer. Nehemiah bends his heart and his volition, his will before God, and he, and he lifts up his prayer to God. And what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the text, and then we're going to ask a couple of questions as to, well, what is the text saying to us today? And here at Great Hills, we make much of the written, inerrant Word of God. We are a teaching, disciple-making, radiant church. And what we try to do is we try to study the text and analyze it and evaluate it and ask the Spirit of God who wrote the book then and inspired those writers to illuminate our minds today so that we might be able to understand what God said then and then that the Holy Spirit may apply truth as it applies to our hearts today. So let me go ahead and tell you something. At the end of this prayer, Nehemiah is going to ask God, God, would you do... Would you do in me what you've put in my heart to do, which is to go and rebuild this wall? And by the way, the very king that Nehemiah serves had already vetoed such a prospect. During Ezra's time, around 458, Artaxerxes, remember, he reigns from 464 to 444. And he had already vetoed this. He had already said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have the Jews rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, at least not yet. No, I'm vetoing that. And so Nehemiah is going to go before the king. And by the way, back then it's a little bit different, a lot different is today. You don't go into the presence of the king sad, and you don't go into the presence of the king asking for things that he had already politically vetoed. And yet Nehemiah is going to do both. He's going to go into the presence of the king. He's going to be sad, and he's going to say, oh, king, would you grant it that I might be able to go back and rebuild the wall? And he is like, God, please help me. And if you're here today and God has put a prodigious task in your heart, maybe it is to lead your family in the ways of God. I'm going to tell you something, by the way, you're in the minority today. If you're a man or a woman of faith and you're wanting to live a Christian life in America, in post-Christian America, then I'm telling you, that is a prodigious, awesome task to say, God, make me the man, the woman of God, the student of God that you want me to be so that I can lead well. Or God has put it in your heart to accomplish some great task at your job. Or maybe you're a head coach of a team and, and the Lord has put it on your heart like he did the heart of the Mark Rick there at the University of Miami Hurricanes. He bought a Bible for every single one of his athletes, student athletes, and engraved their name on it and gave it to them as a gift. Dude, that takes some moxie, friend. That takes some guts to say, I'm the head coach, and I'm a man of faith, and God's put it on my heart to give you all a Bible. Maybe you're here today. God's put it on your heart to do something grand, grandiose, great, prodigious, and you're going, however, I'm very afraid. Well, welcome to the human race. 
I mean, we're all afraid. I'm afraid. I take this responsibility incredibly dear to my heart to try to lead a Bible-teaching, disciple-making church in the heart of Austin, Texas, in America, when that day, many people would say, is past. That day is past. We're not interested in Bible. We're interested in entertainment. We're interested in personalities larger than life. We want to go to the movies. That's what one pastor did up in Dallas. Took the church to the movies for many months and just showed them clips from movies with very little biblical truth. We're not going to do that. We're, We're going to go against the grain. And so pray for me and I pray for you that we will accomplish great things for God. Here's two verses of Scripture that I hope encourages you in this. The first one is, from Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am God. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? That rhetorical question is the same question right here. Is there anything too hard for God? You can answer it if you want to. Go ahead. Ne- negative. No. Nine. Zilch. Negative. No. Nothing is too hard for God. So let me ask you something. If God has placed some great dream in your heart, would God not also give you the strength, the fortitude, the courage to accomplish that dream? The next verse I want to encourage you with, it's one of my favorite, and I go back to frequently here in our church, or at least in my life, in my ministry, when Jesus said, hey guys, I want to tell you something. With men, this is impossible, Matthew 19, 26. But with God, help me, all things are possible. So number one, what does the text say? Let's walk through this sacred text, and then we're going to see perhaps a couple of things of God, what God is saying to us. If you're into history and etymology and theology and philosophy and all those kind of things, you're going to love the next few minutes. If you're not, enjoy your nap, okay? So just... (laughs) Enjoy your nap, and we're going to do some biblical literacy moments. going to walk through Nehemiah. Why is this such an amazing book? I think you're going to find out if you didn't already last week. Verse 5, and I said, I pray, Lord God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, God of heaven. This is Nehemiah. He's praying. Oh, great and awesome God. What a way to begin your prayer, by the way. Praising the Lord. Oh God, you are great. You are awesome. You are the one who keeps your covenant and mercy. In the the Hebrew word there, mercy is hesed. H-E-S-E-D. If you're transliterating that, write it out. Hesed, which is God as he keeps covenant with his chosen people. Okay, It's directly tied to the name Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, who was and is and is to come. Nehemiah knows God. I know he's a layman. It doesn't matter. He knows God. He loves God just as much as the clergy loves God. In fact, I think he knows God better than some of the clergy knows God. He's bowing his heart before God. He's calling on the the name of God, the name above all names, Yahweh, Jehovah God. Then he says, Elohim, creator God, maker of heaven and earth, you who keep hesed, you who keep your, your covenant of love with your people. And he says this, and with those who love you, and with those who observe your commandments. So here you have Nehemiah calling out to God. He's offering to God a sacrifice of praise. Before we go to verse 6, think about it like this. Nehemiah is in a desperate place in his life. He, he could be decapitated for what he's pondering, okay? He's pondering the unthinkable. 
He's pondering, going into the presence of the king, running the risk of having a sad countenance, and then asking this big, hairy, audacious goal, saying, would you let me go? Would you let me leave you and go to my home and, and rebuild the wall? I know you vetoed it once before, but King Artaxerxes, will you grant this to me? And yet, mm, listen, listen, listen. Before Nehemiah can talk to an earthly king, he must first talk to the heavenly king. And that's a good word for you and me. Before you go rush into the presence of your employer, before you rush into the presence of your principal, before you rush into the presence of some man or woman in authority, first of all, go into the presence of God. And the first thing you need to do is not this. Now, this is probably what your pastor would have done. I would have gone into Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. If it was written about me, it would have gone something like this. Dear God, help me. I am in a mess. What is going on? Lord God, please, please, please help, help, help. Nehemiah didn't do that. He's a stellar leader. He is He's really an incomparable leader. He begins first with praise before he ever goes to petition. Are you listening? It's a good word for us if we'll hear it. A mature woman of faith, before she panics and freaks out, first of all, she talks to God. And when she talks to God as a leader of women, as a leader of people, she first of all talks to God and gives God praise and worship. Here, here it is. If you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says... Then let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. So first of all, He gives God praise. Verse 6 says, here comes the petition. Lord, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. Notice the humility and the passion, the pathos of this man praying, praying to God. That you may hear the prayer of your servant. How about that? It's funny, when you know who God is, you really understand who you are. He, he says, I'm a servant, and I pray before you now day and night. It reminded me of that scripture where it says, and let us offer God the sacrifice of praise, and let us continually give thanks to his name. Let's pray to the Lord with unceasing prayers. Day and night, he says, I'm praying to you, God, for the children of Israel, my people, your servants. Now watch this, church. This is so powerful. And I confess the sins of the children of Israel. Now, that's powerful. He is interceding to God for the people of Israel. And he is saying, God, we're in this mess because we deserve this mess. We disobeyed you. We spit in your face. We, we just nullified all the things that Moses told us to do. God, we've broken every single law, commandment, and ordinance, and statute. And God... Israel has sinned, but notice that's not where he stops. He says, yes, I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which, hello, watch this. We have sinned against you, both my, my father's house, and I have sinned. Powerful, powerful. See, a true leader of men and women, a true man of God, is not somebody who's up here and saying, you bunch of reprobates, you bunch of heathens, you got us in this mess. No, Nehemiah said, God, I'm guilty. I'm culpable. God, I'm responsible. Me and my family, Lord, we have sinned against you, O oh God, and we're asking you to forgive us and to have mercy on us. One commentator says it this way. He says, even though he was a leader, he emphasized... His identification with the people and with their sins. Listen to this, church. Leaders must not consider themselves superior to others. 
admission of fault will not ruin your effectiveness, end of quote. In fact, I think it will endure, endear and endure your effectiveness. When you, as a leader, when you blow it, say, I blew it, I messed. And that's the thing Donald Trump's got to do better. He, when he blows it, and he does frequently, I wish he would stand up and say, I blew it, I made a mistake, there are not 10 million people here, there's not as many people here as I thought it was, I'm sorry. Let's pray for him that he'll do that. I think that's true quality of a leader when you can say, I made a mistake. And that's okay. Guess what? Welcome to the human race. Amen? I made a mistake. Now watch verse 7. We have acted very corruptly. I'm talking about calling a spade a spade. Come now. We have acted very corruptly against you, God, and we have not kept. Now watch this triumphant. Watch the way he describes the Word of God. We've not kept the commandments, number one, the statutes, number two, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Now, as we're walking through this sacred text, notice with me that Nehemiah is the leader. He's about to be commissioned by God to do the unthinkable. And as he does, as he gets his heart ready to go and lead the people, he's, he's asking God, God, forgive me. And God, we have neglected your word. God, the word that you gave Moses in Leviticus, and by the way, when you study this and cross-reference this, he is quoting Moses. By the way, you can't quote that which you don't read. <laughs> he's reading. He knows the law. He knows the Pentateuch. He knows the Torah, and he's read it. He's memorized it, and he goes, God, we have, we have violated your precepts, and that's why we are in such a mess. And so another writer says, the concept of disobedience goes right to the heart of the matter. God's commands are not capricious. He knows what is best for his people and for all society. Verse 8, remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, now he's about to quote, and if you're interested, he's quoting Leviticus 26, 33, Deuteronomy 4, 25 through 27, and Deuteronomy 28, 63 through 67. He's quoting this. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Hello? Hello? They're in Medo-Persia. They're not in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah says, we, we're, we are where we are because we have done what we have done. We have violated your commandments, and God, you've punished us. But you also say, God, in your word, Leviticus 26, 40 through 42, Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 31, and Deuteronomy 31 through 3, it says, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, watch this, church. Listen to this. God says, I will gather you from there and I will bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Can we go to Deuteronomy? Is that possible? Chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. I just, I just want to show you that Nehemiah is not making this up. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, Deuteronomy 30, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. And you call them to mind among the nations. Now this is hundreds of years before Nehemiah's day. And, and, and you go to the nations where the Lord your God drives you. What? Look, look, shub. I love this Hebrew word, shub. It's where we get this word repentance in the Old Testament. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice 
according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. Here it is. Nehemiah's going, God, remember your word? Remember, Lord, you said, you said you would punish us, but you also said the Lord God will bring us back from captivity and you will have compassion on us. You will gather us again from all the nations where the Lord God has scattered us. So Nehemiah knows God's word and he has memorized it. And now in his prayer, John Calvin had a good point here. Let's pray the scriptures back to God. That's what Nehemiah is doing. So verse 10 says, and we're almost finished with our textual study. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Now here it is. And let your servant Salak, let him prosper this day. That word prosper literally means to cut a path. Isn't that good? To succeed. Salak means to make a way where there seems to be no way. This, I, this day I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man, the antecedent for man, is King Artaxerxes, all right? For I was the king's cupbearer. So he asked God a second time, be attentive to his prayers. See, God, we have, um, we've disobeyed you. you have, hey, listen, some of you are in a mess because you've disobeyed God. Okay? Some of you are in a mess because you've disobeyed God. And God's asking you, would you come back to me? How's that going doing your own thing? How's that going disobeying my clear commandments? And I love you so much that I'm chastising you. And now I'm, I'm asking you to come back. Would you come back? Would you shub? Would you return back to the Lord? And that's what Nehemiah's praying. He's saying, God, we're coming back. God, we've made a mess of our lives and we are coming back. God, in fact, we're casting ourselves upon your mercy. It's much like Luke 15, the prodigal son. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, oh Father. Please forgive me. Our God is so good when we come to our senses and we rush back into the presence of God. God says, come on home. Come home. I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting on you to ask me to forgive you. And now I graciously, I benevolently, and I wonderfully bestow forgiveness. Welcome home. Some of you need to come home. Some of you need to go back to God. Some of you are looking at me like, you weren't kidding about this kind of preaching the Bible and, you know, repentance and coming back to God. This is not the 18 ways to have a happy life. This is the Word of God. And this is the way that we, we repent. We come back to Almighty God and God forgives us and He cleanses us. That's the Word of the Lord. That's the Word for you today. That's the Word for me today. <clears throat> Ezra 4.21, he's already vetoed it, church. He said, no, you are not going to go back and rebuild the wall. So Nehemiah's going, God, please, select me. God, <laughs> prosper me. Make a way where there seems to be no way. This is something the Holy Spirit has really impressed upon me to tell you today, church. You and I, notice I included me in this, we need to be praying prayers that are so big that unless God intervenes, we will look foolish. 
We need to be asking God to do something so grand that if it doesn't happen, <laughs> if it doesn't happen, it means, I mean, we're going to look really crazy. Like, change the name of your church. That looks pretty crazy on the outside, but if God is in it, and by the way, unless God is in it and God prospers it, then, it, then it's futile. Plant another church over here up in this place. Put a big old edifice facility on your, on your current property. And sometimes it keeps me awake at night. God says, have I lost my mind? God, what, what in the world? And God says, have faith. Trust in me. So God, we're having faith. We're trusting in him. And unless he comes through, we're doomed. <laughs> God likes that, by the way. Some of you are going, I don't like that at all. I don't like living on the edge. That's just ridiculous. I don't like, I don't like living on the edge. We need to get on the edge. We need to be out there so that if it doesn't happen, if, if God doesn't work, then we're in trouble. Jesus said this, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you got it. That's not Hezekiah chapter 3 verse 2, okay? That's, that's Mark chapter 11. By the way, there is no Hezekiah. That was, that was a joke. There's, there's no Hezekiah. There is a Mark chapter 11 where Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive it and you got it. Okay, number two is what is God telling you today? There are two things I want to share with you and close this message. Number one is get connected to God. And the way you get reconnected to God, well, first of all, you can't reconnect that which was never connected. <laughs> you can't revive that which was never vived, all right? You have to be born again. You have to have a relationship with Jehovah. You have to repent and believe. The Holy Spirit comes in. He changes everything, okay? Some of you need to get connected to God. You need to have a relationship with God. Like Nehemiah, some of you are looking at me like, but he was, he was a layman. I mean, he's not a pastor. Yes, 99% of the people in this building are like Nehemiah. You're lay people. And you're the people that can change a city. You can change a nation. You can change a world. But first of all, you got to know God. You got to be in fellowship with Him. You got to know Him. And the only way you know Him is you got to talk to Him. You got to pray. Nehemiah says, God, I'm praying day and night. I'm fasting. I'm weeping. I am desperate for you, oh God. And He gives us a great template, He gives us a model. You ever heard this Acts, A C T S? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and is there anything? Who, who created that? Nehemiah created that. Adore you, God. I praise you. Remember? Oh, great, awesome God that you are, Jehovah. And then he says, Lord, we have sinned. I have sinned. But thank you, God, you're an awesome God. You're, you're awesome. And, I, and now I petition you. I, I make supplication to you. If you, if you want a model, if you want a template, he's giving it to you right here. Uh, you know, I had a professor in seminary. He goes, we don't like the sea much. We don't stay there long at all. Confession. Confess your sins to God and be forgiven. Confess your faults to one another that you may be forgiven. The, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. <laughs> I'm laughing because Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, you know, we can usually find six or seven ways the other guy sinned. The other guy was stubborn, but we seldom consider our part in the problem. But you know, it works both ways. So the very first thing Nehemiah said in regard to the problem was, Lord, I am culpable. I am not only wanting to be part of the answer, 
I am confessing myself to be part of the problem. End of quote. So you get connected with God, number one, through prayer, number, through, number two, through the scriptures. You just can't live the life of faith without this book. It's impossible. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, many of us can write the word C for condemned with the dust on our Bibles. We're so disconnected from God. We, we don't open up his book and read it. Listen, Nehemiah is quoting the Bible. He is so immersed in the scripture. And listen, if I was God and I was looking for a guy to do the unthinkable, to do the impossible, I would want a guy that's in prayer, seeking my face, and a guy that knows the book that I wrote. And Nehemiah meets both qualifications to you. Do you? Sir, are you reading the Word of God daily? Are you praying? You go, well, this is basic Christianity 101. Are you doing it? Negative. Most of you don't. Most of you do not pray every day and read the Word of God every day and seek the face of God. And so forget evangelism. Forget being a radiant church if the church is, first of all, not connected with God. We got to get on our knees and on our face and be passionate for the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, I love you. Forgive me of my sins. I'm a wicked reprobate. Oh, God, I know it. Everybody else knows it. Please cleanse me, oh, God, and now use me. That's where it gets exciting. That's, it's about to get exciting. So let's get connected, get reconnected to God. I'm, I, I was reading um, Eric Liddell's biography last year, and I remember the story of, well, you, you remember the main premise of the book is Olympics, Paris, 1924. Eric Liddell will not run the 100 meters. He's predicted to win. He's not going to run it because it's on what? It's on the Sabbath. It's on Sunday. Well, what I didn't know was there was a guy in the 1908 Olympics in London who had the same conviction. And the reason I can remember is because his name was Forrest, like Forrest Gump, you know, for run, Forrest, run. But his last name was Smithson. Stu, Sarah, Forrest Smithson, 1908. He's predicted to win the hurdles. But they say, you got to run on Sunday. He goes, why are y'all doing this? This was a different day, by the way. This was a day where tons of little league ball games and recreation was not on the Lord's day. And so... Forrest is going, I, I don't want to run on Sunday. That's the Lord's Day. And they're like, well, we're not changing. So guess what Forrest did? He took his Bible, put it in his left hand, and got on the starting block. And the gun went off, and Forrest run, Forrest run. He ran with the Bible in his hand, hopped over every hurdle, and won the gold medal. Isn't that incredible? That's what Nehemiah, Nehemiah reminds me of, that kind of guy. That kind of radical, passionate, loves the Word of God, knows the Word of God. First of all, what is God saying to you? He's saying to me, make sure you're connected. Look, look at this plug. This electrical outlet's here, and the plug, it goes in. And when it's in, there's power, there's electricity. Man, things work. But when you unplug it, things don't work. You say, wow, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard. Thank you. <laughs> How connected are you? There's only two ways to be connected to God. You pray and you read His Word. That's it. Yeah, but I'm looking for something deep, deep and wide, something otherworldly. No, you just got to pray. You just got to read the Word of God. Allow the Spirit of God to fill you. Okay, number two. Y'all ready for this one? 
Go big for God. Go big. What is that? Win or go home? You know, go big for God or, or not. And, and Nehemiah, in verse 11, is going big for God. I promise you. Guys, please think about it. Recreate it in your mind. He goes before that king, and that king has already said no. And he's going to say, would you reconsider? Because I need you, listen, king, I need you not only to give me permission, but I need you to give me some tools for the job, and I need you to send me on my way. And y'all, y'all are thinking, that, that's impossible. And Nehemiah's going to go big for God. When I finished reading Chase the Lion a few weeks ago, and, and I do recommend it, guys and gals, those of you that want to dream big and do big things for God, read Mark Batterson's book, Chase the Lion. He tells the story of how Ebenezer came into being. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Ebenezer. You ever sung that song and go, what in the world is that? Well, Ebenezer is an altar that Samuel built in 1 Samuel chapter 7, I think it is, yes, verse 12. He builds an altar when God does something great, and Ebenezer literally means, thus far the Lord has helped us. And so Mark Batterson had this crazy idea, this big, hairy, audacious goal to purchase this crack house in Washington, D.C. and create a coffee house on the premises. He said, he said, guys, it took us years. He said, you wouldn't believe the bureaucracy and the red tape to buy that piece of property. And it's a very prime piece of property in D.C. It's blocks away from the Capitol and the White House. And, the, and that it was an old rundown crack house a number of years ago. And he said, we, we want to build, we want to buy it. And we want to put a coffee house on it. And if God makes it happen, we'll call it Ebenezer's. Mark Batterson says, quote, There were so many miracles in the process of purchasing, rezoning, and building our coffee house. They said, sir, you need to come before a community hearing here on the Capitol. And we want you to explain some more about this coffee house. And so Mark Batterson goes before the community and they're asking him all kinds of questions. And one person says, sir, why Ebenezer? What is that word again? Ebenezer. What is that? And Mark Batterson said, I know in my mind what I should say, but I chickened out. Ebenezer means so far, so God. So far, the Lord has helped us. But he said, oh, Ebenezer's means uh, so far so good. You know why he chickened out? Because of one lady. One lady was in the community hearing. And she was sitting like this. She was feisty. She was angry. And she scared the ibijibis out of Pastor Mark. It only takes one of y'all, by the way. All right? just, just takes one. They had held a big Easter extravaganza. They paid thousands of dollars. National Park Service gave them the permission. They said, we've got freedom of religion, we've got freedom of speech, and this lady blew a gasket on them. And you know why she was so mad? She says, because you keep saying the name Jesus. And they're like, well, ma'am, we're a church. What do you expect? And she was fired up and ready. Her team was alive. I mean, she was just like angry, angry. And she's sitting out in the congregation or in that assembly. And he goes, oh, Ebenezer's means so, f- so far so good. That's, that's what it means. And he goes, I chickened out. Have y'all ever chickened out on God? 
He said, when I got home, two people got on my case. The Holy Spirit and my wife. <laughs> he said, you know, they both kind of sound the same, don't they? Yeah, they do when they're walking with God. Last year, I was at Ebenezer's Coffee Shop. It's, it's amazing. Twice it's been awarded Best Coffee in Washington, D.C. They've given $1 million, over a $1 million to missions from the proceeds of Ebenezer's Coffee Shop. That was in October, and a couple months later, I met Bart Batterson and talked to him about it. He was, and I like him. I love, I love these pastors that are just passionate for God and dream big, and I want to learn from them. So I went up to him, and he, he spoke at Dallas Baptist University. And I went up to him, and I said, Pastor Mark, he's like eight feet tall. Y'all, he's a giant. Not really six feet, but when you're my height, everything's giant. So he's, he's really tall. Now, he, he's he had a scholarship, University of Chicago, to play basketball and was doing that and doing great until God called him to ministry, messed everything up, and he left that to go to Bible school. And I said, Pastor Mark, I said, uh, I was at Ebenezer's just a few weeks ago. He said, you were? He said, why didn't you come see me? I said, excuse me? He said, I was upstairs <laughs> when you were there. He said, I, my office is upstairs and uh, by the way, they have eight campuses, and they all meet in movie theaters. Talking about unconventional. Talking about living on the edge, their church meets in movie theaters. And this is what he writes in Chase the Lion. And I want to close with this quote, and I hope it encourages you. He says, quote, I do not believe our greatest shortcoming is not feeling bad enough about what we've done wrong. I don't believe that. I don't believe our greatest shortcoming is not feeling bad enough about what we've done wrong. I think our greatest shortcoming is not feeling good enough about what God has done right. That's a strong word. And in quote, I'm going to finish this quote when he says, When we under-celebrate, we fall short of the glory of God. End of quote. So it's noon. And we're leaving, but before we leave, can I ask you one more time? How connected are you to God? Help, help me now for just a minute. Would, would, you, would you look this way for just a minute? Can I have your attention really, really serious here? Has there ever been a time when you were connected to God? You say, well, Brother Danny, I, there has been a time. I repented of my sins, and by faith I trusted Christ. I, I followed him in believer's baptism. I have been walking with the Lord for many years. God bless you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Some of you can't say that. There's never been a time when you say, God, I'm the problem. Dun, dun, a man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. I'm on Michael Jackson got it right. I'm talking about the man in the mirror. It's you. It's not her. It's not him. It, you're the man. You're the woman. You're the problem. Man, it, I've seen this so many times, not only as a pastor, but as a, just a guy living in a normal family. Everybody gets the blame. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. She's the problem. They're the problem. The country's the problem. She, that's the problem. No, you are the problem. And until you realize... 
that the man in the mirror is the problem, you're, still, you're going to continue to live a miserable life. You're welcome. Glad I could share that with you and just make some of you spitting hornets mad because you still have not gotten it. Some of you are going to die and never get it that you're the problem. I'm sorry. That's what you do. When you're the problem, you go, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you, would you forgive me, oh God? And God says, yes, yes. And God just reaches down and he says, my daughter, come home. And it's a beautiful thing when you meet God for the first time and he cleanses you of your sins and the royal blood of Jesus washes away your sin. And it's like, man, and Martin Luther got it right. But he says, when that first happened to me, I was like a bird burst out of a cage and I was free. Some of you need to repent and believe and be connected to God for the very first time. Others of you, you with me, electrical outlet, the outlet's over here, God's the outlet, and you're the cord way over here. <laughs> and you got to get re-plugged in. And the way you do that is you, you read the Word of God daily and you, and you pray and you get with other believers and you, and you serve. And it's so simple and yet the enemy is so profound as he gets us disconnected from God. So let's commit to the Lord today. Some of you for the very first time, I'm giving you my life, Lord. I'm the problem. Others of you are saying, God, I'm, I'm coming back. I want to be like Nehemiah. Lord, I, I'm not going to be building a wall around Jerusalem. But I am going to be leading my family, God. I am going to be a woman of God that does the right thing. And God, I sure am going to fail if you don't help me. Lord, please help me. Listen, guys, God loves that prayer. But Lord, I'm the president of my company. And Lord, we're in some, we're in some tough times. And God, I, I'm, I'm really wringing my hands. And God says, quit wringing your hands. Pray. Seek my face. Walk with me and watch what I will do on your behalf. I'm, I'm going to invite you today. I am. I mean, some of you... You need to come, seriously. You need to come to this altar. And you need to say, God, I'm... What's that guy, Blake Shuck? Is it? Finger there. He says, I'm the guy. And I want some of our people, if you, if you see somebody coming here to the altar and praying, you just come up beside them. Brandon, if you come here with me just a minute there, I want you to demonstrate. Go to the altar. Would you just bow at the altar? Brandon's coming. The Holy Spirit's speaking to him. And you're a church member, deacon, and people, you just come beside me. It's just real simple. Brandon, God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. Okay. You can quit praying now. Thank you. You can go sit down. It's <laughs> a nice looking tie you got on. So, are, are we good? You say, well, brother, it's 1205. I, I got to go to Luby's. That's okay. More changes are coming, y'all, at the end of the year, toward the end of the year. That noon is not going to be a problem. Just hold on. Just cast in vision. It's coming. Noon's not going to be a problem. We're going to be way, way done before noon. What are you going to do? Have services at 6 a.m.? I'm not telling you. We just have to wait and see. But there is something about that noon hour. But if you need to leave, you go ahead. But the rest of you are going, oh, mercy. I need the Lord. I need his help. Once you come, I promise you, one of you, I'm going to get you. I don't know who you are, and I'm going to grab you, and I'm going to pray over you, okay? So you get ready to come, and we'll pray for one another. All right, get connected to the Lord. Lord, thank you for our time together.
Lord, we praise you that you are a God that hears us. You're a God that cares for us. You're not distant in the cosmos somewhere. God, we are your people. We love you and we need you. Lord, would you, I don't know why I keep saying her. God, who is she? Where is she? Spirit of God, who, what is her name? She needs to come to this altar. She needs to be reconnected to you and to her family. Lord, who is she? Who is he? What is that student's name, oh God? That would be the first to come and say, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Guys, I want to tell you, this is, this is not a frozen, forbidden west wing. This is an altar where you come and you meet God. There's something sacred. There's something powerful about stepping out and kneeling before the congregation of God and humbling yourself and let somebody come and just kneel beside you and pray. And church family, I'm, there may just be two people that will come forward, and that's okay. But if 200 people come, then I want you that are walking with God, you just come and you, you help me. Ladies, would you help me when you see ladies come? And I believe the Spirit of God has spoken to us today. I, I believe that there's some people who need to be connected to the Lord. So, Father, we ask you to, to do what only you can do and help us to do, God, our part. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing, why don't you come even now? Lord, oh mercy, I love this song. Lord, I come, I confess. As we sing, why don't you come? And church family, staff and deacons and wives, why don't y'all come and join me? Let's pray for one another right now. Brother Terry, you lead us as we sing.